Welcome to Wise Brussels Voices and our second mini-series on climate security, looking at the link between security and climate change top issues. I'm Sabrina Dao. And I'm Sofia Shevchuk. This series is a part of a project led by Wise Brussels with the support of the U.S. mission to NATO. In this mini-series, we bring together diverse voices of women across the world leading discussion in climate security. Through their own expertise and experience, they share and debate their point of view on critical climate security issues. We hope you will enjoy this episode as much as we do. Thank you for listening. For this episode, we are diving into a topic that is becoming more and more important. What is the impact of the climate crisis on defense? We'll be joined by two women who are experts on this topic to explore fascinating subjects, such as the role of NATO in the world where climate change is the biggest threat to the organization's members. Let's get started with the conversation. Enjoy. Welcome, Benedetta and Katerina, and thank you very much for joining us today. Let's start with some introductions. Could you please tell us who you are, where you work, and your past experience on climate and defense. So my name is Benedetta Berti. I am the head of policy planning in the office of the Secretary General at NATO. I serve in this capacity since 2017. And my job is really about providing political analysis, recommendations, foresight to the NATO Secretary General and to the NATO um, senior leadership on basically all issues that have to do with alliance security. So so the work that my team and myself do really spans broadly from looking at traditional uh, defense issues to political affairs, but also to emerging security challenges. And of course, over the last, um, especially two to three years, we have taken a very keen um, interest in exploring and furthering our understanding of the security impact of climate change and in working towards uh, advancing how NATO understands and adapts to, to its impact. My name is Katarina Kertisova. I work as a policy fellow at the European Leadership Network in London, and I'm also affiliated with the Cannon and Polar Institutes of the Wilson Center. And Two years ago, I had the pleasure to participate in the NATO 2030 reflection process as one of the NATO 2030 young leaders. And in that capacity, I advised on climate-related issues. Uh, it's really a pleasure to be with you today. Thank you, Bernadette and Katarina, for your introductions. We're very happy to have you here today. So let's set the scene for this episode on the impact of climate change and defense. Can you please tell us how climate change, defense, and security are connected? When it comes to climate change and security, it's it's a really broad topic. And so it's uh, I think there are many different ways to approach it. But I would say, first of all, uh, climate change is a defining challenge over time. And that already means that it has an impact pretty much on everything, on our societies, on the way we work, on our infrastructure. And of course, our security and defense cannot be seen as isolated from this broader trend. So first of all, if climate change will affect everything, 
it will ergo also affect our security and defense. That's the first point. Then to be a little bit more concrete and to give you some examples, and I'm sure Katarina will, will, uh, will have many, many others, because as she mentioned, she does very, very, very good job in this, uh, in this field. But uh, from where I stand sitting at uh, the NATO headquarters, I can see, well, first of all, climate change does affect our security at home. That's the first point. What does it mean? It means that if you look at uh, the territory of NATO allies of the 30 uh, members of the alliance, you can see that the security of our citizens, but also of our infrastructure is affected by climate change. For example, we are witnessing more extreme, more frequent extreme weather events. These have a potential to, of course, threaten directly the security of our citizens. They also have an impact on how we use our militaries, because, of course, if there are more natural disasters in our own countries, we will need to resort uh, to our militaries more often to assist in civilian preparedness and civil coordination. So it has a clear impact on also how we use our, our militaries. Of course, uh, this is just one example. If you want to go a little bit further away from home, you can look at our broader neighborhood. And it's, it's clear that climate change has an impact in terms of exacerbating, fueling, multiplying existing threats. So, for example, in areas or countries that are already politically fragile or unstable or where resources are scarce, Climate change is only going to exacerbate that scarcity of resources, which in turn can fuel conflict. So imagine uh, imagine areas that are prone to more desertification, where lesser crops will be available, lesser water will be available. Of course, that also has a security impact. If it forces a displacement, it may bring communities that used to cooperate uh, in a situation where they uh, need to compete over scarce resources. So it may fuel conflict. So that's another very practical example. And then the third layer, I would say, it's not just about our homes, it's not just about our neighborhood, but it's really about the whole world. For example, in a world of climate change, I think uh, geopolitical competition would also be intensified. And you can think of that playing out in key arenas, for example, the Arctic, where uh, with the ice melting and new maritime trade routes opening up, the potential for, uh, for tensions is also rising. So these are just a few examples, but I think that the, the bottom line is uh, that there is an impact. It's direct and indirect, and it affects both our environment, but also the way we use our militaries. So it's simply something that we cannot afford to ignore. Maybe to put things in, in, in more of a context, Texas, that climate change really challenges our very perception of security. Um, NATO was designed and built uh, to defend its members against any external aggression. But uh, what we're seeing today, so our current reality, um, is that of actorless threats, uh, such as pandemics or biodiversity loss or climate change, and these don't neatly fit an Article 5 scenario. So it's climate change is man-made, but it can't really be attributed to a physical adversary. So NATO's purpose and main job, uh, which is to guarantee the security of its 1 billion citizens, is under threat. And for us to be able to fulfill our core mission, we need to be able to understand these risks, adapt and mitigate where possible. So. As Benedetta has said, uh, you know, this is just pure logic. Our military infrastructure and installations are impacted. 
we're facing more logistical challenges uh, because of climate change. Our equipment is not working as intended because it's optimized for specific temperature ranges. So, you know, NATO as a security organization can be indifferent to these challenges. Thank you both. I'd like to follow up with a question on how military forces are facing the consequences of climate change. What are the foreseen impacts on the changing climate on military effectiveness, operations and strategy? So this is a very important question, and it's a very good way to illustrate the practical implication of the trend. And I think that's that's very important because we started by talking about how climate change has an impact on our environment. And I think it's just as true that it has an impact on our um, militaries, on our forces, on the way we we are, on the way we operate. So you ask about some concrete examples. I would say let's start with the with our physical infrastructure. So our military bases, our assets, our installations. It's clear that um, going forward, we'll need to pay more attention to make sure that those are climate resilient, that are able to, for example, be immune to rising sea levels or to more extreme temperatures or to extreme weather events. So that's already a very, very practical point. A lot of our military bases and installations are actually in areas that are prone to flooding or that are going to be increasingly vulnerable due to uh, rising sea levels. So that's a very practical um, step that we are taking in order to increase our climate resilience. Then, of course, we also have to think about the way our militaries operate. For example, uh, we need equipment, and from equipment, I mean from, from protective gear to helicopters, we need equipment that is able to function in uh, a weather that is windier, wetter, hotter, more unpredictable. That's a very clear impact on the way we design, we procure, so in the way really we, uh, we think about equipping our militaries. And then, of course, uh, if you want to broaden a little bit from the, from the operational to the strategic, we need to think about how do we approach the energy transition as our militaries, as our societies undergo and go through an energy transition to lower their dependency on fossil fuels. That's certainly a question that would also uh, be relevant for our armed forces. And that will require investing in new technologies that will require increasing our operational effectiveness. There's a series of steps. So I would say that it's really an all-encompassing um, challenge. And that's why uh, for NATO, the approach is really to, there is the approach to, to climate change really builds, first of all, on increasing our awareness so that we're able to fully understand what are the security impacts on everything we do, but secondly, on that basis to adapt. And that means adapt how we do training, how we do exercising, how do we do procurement. The question is really how to mainstream climate change considerations into pretty much everything we do. Thank you, Benedetta. And while it's true that militaries will have to adapt in a serious way to climate change, this does not mean that militaries and military alliances will become obsolete. So I would like to ask you, Katarina, what could be the role of NATO regarding climate security compared to other multilateral organizations when it comes to defense? So I'd say that um, NATO is not uh, trying to position itself uh, in the leading role or as the first responder. Uh, we have to bear in mind that NATO does not have the power to legislate or impose binding emissions reduction targets on allied militaries. Uh, so the EU and the UN are better suited to play a leading role. Uh, but NATO, as we have 
been able to read in uh, documents that were published last June. It's trying to become a, the leading international organization when it comes to understanding and adapting to the impacts of climate change on security. So even if it's not in the driving seat, it can, of course, still make a substantial contribution uh, to broader international efforts. And uh, some ways in which it can do so is uh, that it has a solid network of partners and structured relations uh, with other international organizations. And this network site is very important both for capacity and resilience building, but also for improved situational awareness. Next, NATO can serve as a hub where allies can come together almost on a daily basis and exchange expertise and best practice and lessons learned on, on any issues that they consider may challenge their security. Uh, NATO also has great operational planning and rapid response uh, capabilities, and it has often been the partner of choice uh, to civil emergency authorities. Also worth mentioning is that NATO has a successful track record as a standard setter, uh, so it can set standards not only on what type of equipment uh, our militaries operate, but also how they operate. And then finally, uh, worth mentioning is that NATO has an enormous, or our militaries, allied militaries have an enormous uh, procurement power, and they have traditionally been able to move certain markets. Uh, so NATO can be an early adapter of sustainable technologies and eventually drive societal change. Thank you, Katarina. If I may, I'll jump in with the comment here. Considering we have this very comprehensive list from Katarina, who does the research on this topic, what can NATO realistically do on this? Benedetta, what's your view as someone who works in this organization and has some insight views on it? That is a very good question. And I think, uh, yes, Katarina very uh, eloquently summed up the direction of travel for an organization like NATO. And I think uh, the way she framed it is correct. NATO cannot be the first responder to deal with all the aspects uh, and all the implications of a generational existential challenge like climate change. But NATO has a role to play when it comes to its area of competency. And that's, of course, in the security and defense realm. And uh, Katerina uh, mentioned some of the practical ways through which allies have come together through NATO to increase their situational awareness, adapt to the security impact of climate change, and contribute to mitigation. Now, let's start with a few examples of what NATO has done for, for many decades, and that is uh, supporting and investing in science and technology uh, to increase our operational effectiveness, to increase our energy efficiency, and ultimately, that's also a way to uh, diminish our reliance on fossil fuels. So NATO has a very long-standing scientific program where we work with uh, scientists all across the alliance, and part of those efforts are really about uh, increasing our energy efficiency. So there is an element, of course, a very practical element by which the alliance can and has contributed to advanced scientific progress in this field. That's one area. Then, as uh, as Katarina mentioned, the, the uh, NATO as a standard setting ability means when it comes to military areas, it does set uh, standards for our allies, and it has over time set very important standards in the area of environmental protection that are certainly something that uh, it's worth remembering in terms of practical ways to positively affect our environment. 
then looking to the future. Last year, uh, allies have agreed a climate change and security agenda that basically sets up a number of uh, concrete projects to advance what we do in the area of climate change and security. One is, for example, to begin, uh, and this work is already ongoing, to enhance our climate resilience by conducting a whole of alliance assessment over climate vulnerabilities. So a little bit what I was referring to before, looking at our mazes, our installations, our activities, our missions, and really seeing where is, this, where is it most affected by climate change? What are the vulnerabilities? What are the problems? And of course, that's done with a view towards mitigating those, those vulnerabilities and strengthening our climate resilience. Then uh, we are also working very actively to uh, exchange best practices in which allies are sharing with each other what they're doing in the field of adaptation. We are working to integrate climate change considerations into our training, our exercise, our procurement. So really, this is part of a, of a broader effort really to adapt to the security impact of climate change. And then we're also looking at mitigation, which means we're also looking at developing the first uh, methodology to really assess our emissions coming from our armed forces activities and installations. And that's something important because the first goal, if we want to reduce something, first of all, we need to measure it and know what, know what we're dealing with. And so we are working on this methodology that doesn't exist at the moment to really measure fossil fuel emissions coming from our militaries. And then on that basis, also the Secretary General is developing goals for the reduction of emissions in the context of NATO activities and NATO facilities. Thank you, Benedetta. It's very interesting to hear about some of NATO's non-military actions. But let's not forget that military positioning is one of the main activities of the Alliance. So I would like to discuss how climate change is altering the nature of how we lead military operations. I'm thinking specifically about regions such as the Arctic. On the Arctic, uh, it really is the hotspot uh, of climate change. It warms three times as fast as the rest of the planet, um, and the ice melt then affects sea level rise and ocean circulation and weather patterns uh, across uh, the globe. We have to bear in mind that four out of five Arctic littoral states are members of the alliance. So the Arctic is already under NATO's territorial umbrella and the very same challenges that uh, Benedetta described are taking place in the Arctic. So because of coastal erosion and permafrost degradation, military infrastructure and installations that NATO relies on for its deterrence and defense posture are vulnerable and at risk. We have Cold War era military dump sites like those in Greenland that might emerge and that can have devastating consequences for the environment and Arctic inhabitants. Uh, but climate change, as in other theaters, it places our societies at risk because the Arctic is inhabited by approximately 4 million people. And some of these are allied populations. So it's not just the military readiness that is affected, but also civil preparedness uh, that can diminish. And also, um, I would say that the final concern is that NATO needs to be able to move forces where they are required. And this is essential to credible defense and deterrence. And in the Arctic, we really don't know what the future operating environment uh, will be like. 
we know that uh, it will be difficult and technologically demanding, uh, but that we will have to be dealing with harsh climate conditions, long distances, limited infrastructure and satellite coverage that could support such operations. And as the Arctic sea ice reduces, we will have waterways that are navigable for longer periods of times. So this means that there will be much more human activity than before, uh, but more fishing, more resource extraction, uh, more tourism also means the higher risk of maritime incidents taking place. And it is expected that our militaries uh, might be called upon much more often to assist with search and rescue and emergency response in the future. So we need to be preparing for these kinds of uh, operations, but also clarify why the Arctic matters uh, to the Alliance. Absolutely. Thank you, Katarina. Let's move to our next question, which is timely, but might be a bit provocative considering there are already some conversations taking place on this topic. Academics and professionals who work in security and defense are raising concerns that Russian invasion of Ukraine might shift the priorities of the military and defense institution. And by this, I mean not only NATO, but countries and national ministries of defense as well. From climate security to more traditional security and defense priorities. So do you think it might be the reality or perhaps it's too early to discuss this topic? First of all, it is absolutely true that it's a little premature to, to, to speculate about what will be or will not be. Uh, as a result of Russia's uh, unprovoked and brutal war of aggression against Ukraine. I would, first of all, I would make the point that in this particular context, and especially witnessing the, the tremendous civilian suffering war of the war, it, I do hesitate to say that this could be seen as a destruction. This is one of the gravest security challenges in Europe since the end of World War II. We've seen a size and scale of violence that we haven't seen in decades. So I think there is a very strong case to make as to why the international community and all of us are uh, deeply focused on this particular uh, unprovoked and brutal war of aggression. So my first reaction would be, well, I would be a little careful about saying that we that we shouldn't focus too much on it, given the, the horrific size and scale of atrocities that we're seeing. Uh, that said, uh, that's just a personal reflection on why I think this actually matters profoundly, but I don't think it's an either or, I think it's a false dichotomy. From where I sit as NATO, we have one job, and that is to ensure the security and defense of all allies. What we do, the task we perform to ensure that job change, of course, over time. And they always require us to balance and to be able to respond to different threats and different challenges. And I think today is no different. We are witnessing a very uh, complex and to some extent and deteriorated security environment. We see Russia's aggressive actions. We see uh, more cyber and hybrid threats. We see the security impact of climate change, instability in our neighborhood, terrorism remaining a threat to our citizens. Uh, in the broader international environment, we see China's rise and and the impact that has on our, on our security. So this is the world we live in. And I don't think we can afford as an alliance or as individual countries to focus on only one threat or only one scenario and only one challenge. I really do not think that it's either or. And I think also the current uh, Russia's uh, war against Ukraine amply demonstrates why it's so important for us to take our security and peace seriously to invest more in defense, uh, but that, that shouldn't be seen as a way to 
forget about other issues that we also have to tackle. So to me, it's a, it's, I understand where they're coming from, but I'm not sure it's really the most helpful way to talk about it. If I could just add, I agree fully with Benedetta that we can't approach this in binary terms. It's, it's not either solving the war or climate change. Uh, NATO really needs to maintain focus on both because future conflicts will be made more likely by climate change. And just some of my thoughts on, on the war and the environmental damage it causes. I think what, when you're fighting a war, I think preserving the environment is not as pressing of a thought as preserving uh, human life. And we see that the stakes for Western security are really too high uh, right now. Uh, so the strengthening of our collective defense against uh, the threat that Russia poses to NATO member states will be of higher priority than possibly meeting higher emission reduction standards. But as we heard, you know, allies and partners are committing extra money for defense. And uh, the Secretary General's annual report uh, confirmed that 2021 was in fact the seventh consecutive year when uh, NATO's defense spending has increased. And I think that these additional budgets present an opportunity for innovation uh, and an opportunity for research and development of green equipment. So I think that NATO can ensure, ensure fuel efficiency standards are factored into the development of these new systems and platforms that will be made possible with increased spending. And then, you know, we, we also have to remember that conflict in itself is a huge driver of climate change and environmental damage. So NATO should use every instrument of its power to preserve peace and reduce the, the amount of conflict in the future. And I think effective deterrence, which is a, a core element of NATO's overall strategy, is really important in preventing future conflicts and, by extension, uh, future emissions. And so is our ability to improve our preparedness, to improve our early warning and foresight capabilities, to better understand the root causes uh, for war and where possible tackle them before the war escalates. Yes, thank you both. It was very insightful and very complete. I have one final question that we like asking our guests. What are your hopes and dreams for gender equality in the realms of climate security in relation to defense? What are my hopes and dreams when it comes to climate change and security? I wouldn't call it a hope. I would say my, I am confident that over the past few years, we have really advanced as an alliance of NATO in, uh, in our understanding and appreciation of the importance of climate change and its impact on security. And my hope is that we will continue in this positive trajectory. Uh, but uh, it's not just a hope, I would say, it's also backed on facts. I think the strategy we adopted last year on climate change and security sets us on the right path to continue to give this uh, really important existential challenge the the attention it deserves while at the same time as Katharina rightfully reminded us continuing to to perform our key mission which is to ensure security and defense of allies again I see no contradiction and my hope is we will continue on both tracks if I may just to add Sabrine mentioned climate security and the role of women 
This series is really about focusing on women's voices in climate security, which we think are underrepresented in the debate on this topic. So do you have any hopes on the gender aspect? When it comes to, um, to women empowerment and to the full inclusion of women in peace processes, in matters that affect defense and security and foreign policy, we need to be really beyond hopes. We need to be talking about rights. We need to be talking about uh, our effectiveness, our values, who we are as an organization, who we are as countries. So in other words, I think that this is part of who we are. Gender equality is part of who we are and how we do things. So I don't want to hope about it. I want, I want it to be a certainty. That was a very strong statement, and we fully agree with you. Katarina, what are your hopes and dreams? Uh, maybe I would just add that, uh, and something that perhaps can give us hope is that um, the, the women, peace and security agenda Uh, at NATO and the process with which it was incorporated could be used as an example to drive uh, NATO's climate agenda and also you know in the way we change our narrative about the topic and you know in way we prioritize so I think we can learn many lessons from the women peace and security agenda for the climate work at NATO. Great thank you all for this discussion. Thank you. Thank you. We hope you found this episode gripping and insightful. More to come on this mini-series, so stay tuned. To hear more on the diversity of international security topics, listen to other episodes from WiseProsess Voices channel. You can find us on social media and podcast platforms. Thank you for being with us.